Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest today is David Thompson, who is co-author of Wild West 2.0, How to Protect and Restore Your Online Reputation on the Untamed Social Frontier. We will discuss reputation management online and his book. David based the book on his experience as general counsel at Reputation.com, Inc., an online reputation management firm. At the company, he helped many individuals and small businesses build positive online reputations with the hope that it would help them find success in their careers and industries. In addition to being an author, he is a practicing attorney at the Los Angeles-based law firm of Munger, Tolls, and Olson, LLP. Highlights of his legal career include clerking for Justice Antonin Scalia of the Supreme Court and for Chief Justice Alex Kaczynski of the Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. David received his J.D. from Stanford Law School and a B.A. from Yale University. David, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on the show. This topic is, I think, top of mind maybe for the entire population of the country, maybe the world certainly for a lot of the business practitioners. How do we get our arms around the the basic concept? You talk about a Wild West 2.0 in the book. Would you tell us a little bit about what you're referring to there? Absolutely. So what we talk about by Wild West 2.0 is we mean that the Internet today in 2011 is it's a little bit lawless. It's still a little bit of frontier. We're used to when we walk around in you know, everyday society, we walk around and things are pretty safe and we know how things work. But when you go online, it turns out there's not a lot of law enforcement and things can get a little bit crazy. Anybody can go online. They can write a blog about you. They can spill your most private secrets to the world. They can spread rumors and lies. They can spread gossip. And there's not much that people realize they can do about it. So what we wanted to do with that metaphor is sort of teach people that the Internet is a frontier where you can prosper, you can profit, but you have to be very proactive about protecting yourself and looking out for yourself. And so we wanted to give people some tips in Wild West 2.0 about how they could how they could do that. In some ways, of course, the Internet has some of the same things that are offline, meaning there are reputable media outlets like the New York Times and USA Today and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and so on and so forth. But of course, there are also a lot of other individuals that are reputable to different degrees. How do you go about identifying or classifying the source when you're online? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, that's obviously one of the hardest parts um, for a lot of online consumers is trying to figure out if a source is reliable. And what we've seen is that sites like Google make this so much worse because let's say I type somebody's name into Google and it'll bring up a list of 10 sites. And one of them might be the New York Times. And you might think the New York Times is a very reputable site, but the other nine might be sites you've never heard of. And so you click on those sites and you open them up and they've got some information. It might be true, it might be false, but it's presented with almost no context. Google presents these different sites with no indication of which one's trustworthy, which ones are reliable. It gives anybody a voice. Giving anybody a voice is great for democracy. It's great for public discourse, but it can also have huge negative effects on somebody's reputation. If 
you know, some random person on the street who might dislike you, they might have a grudge against you, they might be jealous of you, can start a blog, and Google will give that blog the exact same amount of voice as the New York Times when they're writing about you. So, you know, how do you find out if a source is reliable? It takes a lot of time to go through each source where you find information about somebody or something, look and see if it's got a long history of publishing, look if it seems to be a balanced source, look if it's, you know, backed by something or somebody you're familiar with. But other than that, it's very hard. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of reputations be destroyed online is that people have a lot of trouble trying to figure out what's reliable and what's not online. Just because something has a very glossy, professional-looking design doesn't mean that it's truthful. And, of course, this is also true offline. There are there is the potential for people offline to start a publication or a program or participate in a radio broadcast of some kind. That is also possible. But I think in some ways perhaps the Internet has really lowered the barriers to entry. And so I, I think what I understand from what you're saying about Google is that Google doesn't really discriminate and doesn't scrutinize the source of the information very carefully. Is that right? That's exactly right. Um, there's a couple of differences that really make a difference online versus offline. First, like you said, Google will bring your message to the world. You know, If I want to go out and, you know, I don't, but let's say I wanted to, to say something negative about this program. Well, I could stand on the street corner. I could tell everybody I walked past, but I can't tell very many people that way. If I want to set up a, a broadcast radio station or something like that, then the second thing comes in, which is that I won't be anonymous. If I want to open up a broadcast radio station, I'm going to have to register with the FCC or something like that. I won't be able to do it anonymously. But online, I could create a blog anonymously about anybody. You could do. Anybody who's listening could do that. And so if somebody has a grudge against you, they could open a blog, they could start commenting on websites, they could do all kinds of things to change your reputation, but they could do it completely anonymously. Oftentimes you have no way to ever know who it was who said that thing online, who started that rumor, where that gossip started from. All you know is that it appears in Google now when anybody searches for your name. So now millions of people are seeing it. You don't know where it came from, and there's not much you can do about it. It's, it's, a, you know, it's a wild frontier in some ways. And, of course, we're talking about Google because it is the largest and most powerful search engine today. There are other search engines. Is there anyone out there in the search engines that is scrutinizing the information that they share, or does Google have plans in the works to address this issue? Absolutely. I mean, you are absolutely right that there are a lot of other search engines out there. I use Google because it is the largest and most prominent. Uh, but for actually for your audience, um, one thing that's interesting is Yahoo claims that they have an 80% market share among Hispanic, uh, the Hispanic audience in the United States. And so for somebody who's interested in targeting the Hispanic market, for them, Yahoo might be just as important, if not more important than Google. You know, please don't take me the wrong way when I focus on Google. They are, you know, they're no means unique. In terms of search engines trying to improve the quality of their information, there's still a continuing arms race among search engines to give better results to, to users. The problem, though, is that a lot of times people like to see sort of the tabloid and the scandalous information. You know, there's a reason that supermarket tabloids sell so heavily and that they're right by the checkout stand. It's, it's hard for a lot of people to resist grabbing them. You know, 
look, I'll admit that, you know, my wife sometimes reads us weekly. I can't help but grab it sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we grab one of the tabloids just for fun. It's, it's one of those things people really like to see sensationalized stuff. And so Google and the other search engines are trying to deliver content that people want to see and want to click on. And when people view more search results and they view more web pages, they click on more advertisements and make the search engines more money. So they're delivering sort of what the market's demanding. I can't, you know, I have a lot of trouble blaming Google for it. If there's one day a search engine that can figure out, you know, this is the truthful information that, you know, there's certain information online that's absolutely true and certain information online that's absolutely false. If the search engine can sort that out, I'm sure that that search engine will make a lot of money. The problem is it's a really hard task. You know, you say one thing, somebody says somebody else, something else. It's hard to sort out which one's the truth. It's hard for humans to do it, let alone for computers. So what's the solution? What is the fair solution that provides the audience the freedom to do what they want, but also protects people from unfair assaults like what you were describing? Well, it's sort of complex. There's a law online called the Communications Decency Act of 1996. It was written way back in the day of AOL and dial-up connections. I don't know if, you know, you even remember that, but you used to actually have to use your phone to connect to the internet and go doo-doo-doo-doo-shh. Um, way back in those early days, Congress wrote a law saying that online service providers like websites and like Google are basically exempt from liability for anything defamatory or libelous, even if it would be you know, completely illegal offline. If I stood on the street corner and handed out a flyer that contained a lie about somebody, that'd be illegal. They could sue me. But if Google starts spreading a lie or one of these websites starts spreading a lie, they're completely immune because Congress wrote this law to kind of encourage the growth of the Internet. Well, it's you know 2011 now. The Internet has become a very stable part of our life. We don't need to worry about encouraging its growth anymore. It's here to stay. It's not going to disappear. So one thing that could be changed is changing that, uh, that law to make it easier for people who have been attacked online to just ask web hosts to take it down. Right now, if I went to Google and said, you know, there's something slanderous about me or there's something slanderous about a client and I can prove that it's false, everybody knows that it's false, it's malicious, Google doesn't have to do anything. In, in fact, they don't. Another web host, if somebody puts a comment on a blog, a blog doesn't have to remove the comment. Even if it's completely false, you can prove it. So a lot of times people will find things that are, they know are false and there's nothing they can do because of this old law. A lot of people are talking about changing that law to, to solve the problem. Or another thing you can do is the answer is to put your own side of the story out there. And so most people, I think it's about 90%, will only look at the first page of a Google search. Um, I think my statistic is from about 2008, 2009, but I don't imagine it's changed much. Uh, we'll only look at the first page of a Google search. So if I search for your name, about 90% of people only look at that first page of Google. If something's on the third or fourth or fifth page of Google, well, then very few people are going to see it. Maybe one or two people are really determined to find everything about you. But by that point, they'll have seen everything. They'll have seen a balanced perspective on who you are, what you do, and get the idea that maybe this piece of false information isn't the most important thing about you. If something's appearing, something negative appears in the top spot in a Google search, then nearly everybody's going to see it. It's going to be how they form their judgment about you. So there's services like those offered by reputation.com that help 
people, help consumers, small businesses, whoever it might be, put their side of the story first. Put positive, truthful information about them up in the first spot in Google. So people who search see that rather than false, misleading, derogatory information that might appear on another page. I could see the starting from the premise of changing the law might be a bit challenging for the average person. So the solution of going out there and putting your own side of the story sounds like the most appealing one. How do you deal with issues outside the United States? In other words, for example, even in the United States, we have the law that you talked about, and it seems like the Wild West that you were talking about earlier but even within that, there are still some boundaries. Once you leave the United States and North America, Europe perhaps, the boundaries are even less defined. Are there ways to deal with that? Absolutely. And Google is a worldwide search engine, and it will present local results to people in different uh, different countries. If you've logged on to Google from from Europe or from South America, you're going to see slightly different results. But you can still use Google to search. Um, it's the worldwide nature of the Internet is one of the big problems, is that somebody could set up a server that says awful things, and they could put it in a country that has very few laws or very few Internet laws and attack everybody worldwide from that. And so there's been ongoing battles in the courts about who can bring suit where and who's responsible. And if I put, you know, if I'm broadcasting from you know, Eastern Europe, do I have to follow American laws or this, that, and the other? But I think the answer, again, is for people to have to consider worldwide who might be searching for them. Um, if you're searching for somebody in the Hispanic community, then odds are very high that people will be using a Spanish language um, search engine or a bilingual search engine, and they should build content that addresses searches in many languages. Um, if you're searching for somebody who's in France, obviously it'll be French instead of, Eng uh, instead of English. To take into account the worldwide nature of the Internet, I think the most proactive thing you can do is build positive, truthful content about yourself in whatever countries and languages people are going to be searching for you in. How do you get started? Say that among our listeners there are people who say or to themselves, well, it's never occurred to me that someone would be saying bad things about me or my company. How do I even get started to find out what people are saying about me or about my company or my services? What's the, that first point? Yeah, absolutely. In Wild West 2.0, we lay out something we call an online reputation audit. And it's sort of an easy way for people to sit down and think about who might be searching for me and what might they find. And so the concept we lay out in Wild West 2.0 is that you've got different audiences. You might be a, you know, a, a marketing professional in, to one audience, and to another you might be part of a family or part of a friendship. And so you have both people who are looking for you in a professional context and in a personal context. If you run a small business, it might be customers searching for you. It might be potential employees searching for you. And so we recommend that people sit down and sort of think about who are the different groups who might be searching for me. For you, it might be people searching for your marketing services, people searching for this blog, uh, people searching for the podcast, and people searching for you in your personal life. And then start to run searches on Google or Yahoo and see what people find 
that fit these different categories. So you might search for your name. You might search for the name of your business. Maybe search for the name of your business and the town you're in or your name and the town you're in. And we list a lot of these, you know, a long list of these suggestions in Wild West 2.0. But the easiest way to get started, you can do it right now, is to just go online, go to google.com and type in your name. If you find a lot of stuff that's not relevant to you, then try making it more specific. Your name, Los Angeles. Your name, Miami. Uh, whatever city you're in or the profession you're in, you know, add your name and then marketing, whatever it might be that's specific to you, and then see what comes up. We also recommend that people don't look just on the first page when they're investigating themselves, that you go a few pages deep into Google. Because content that's on the second page or the third page right now can get moved up to the first page later. Every now and then Google likes to reshuffle how its algorithm works. Its algorithm is just a fancy way for saying for the way that it orders web pages. So every now and then it changes the way that it ranks these web pages and sometimes it moves things from the second page onto the first to the first page onto the second. So we recommend that everybody go through and look at the second page and at least the third page when they're looking up themselves so they get a sense of everything that might be out there. Even if you don't find anything bad today, it's good to know how much good stuff there is about you. The more good stuff there is about you now, and it you know, doesn't have to be glowing reviews, just truthful, basic information, the more of that stuff there's out there now, the harder it would be for something negative later to get into that first page of search results. What we see all too often is people will say, oh, there's no problem right now. I don't have any negative results. I'm fine. But they don't have a lot of information about themselves out there. Later, something negative will come up. It'll get indexed by Google. And then once that sort of tabloid-ish article gets on that first page of Google, people start clicking on it more and they start reading it. And Google interprets that as a vote for the importance of that, that information and starts moving it higher, and up, higher up the page. Because people are just so drawn to tabloid and so drawn to scandal that once something negative gets on the first page, a lot of times people start clicking on it and reading it. And Google will take that as you know, an indication they got it right and plant that information pretty solidly on that first page. One of the issues that is a side effect, if you will, of exposure, certainly for celebrities, but even for everyday people who are, or businesses that are out there selling their wares, offering their services or products, is the potential of unhappy customers sometimes reasonable, sometimes unreasonable. And certainly in the marketing and public relations business, sometimes the advice to clients is don't address that because by addressing it, you're giving it importance that it doesn't have. If you can see, obviously, that the person that's making comments has an agenda, if you can see, obviously, that they're out to get you for some hidden reason that has nothing to do with the fairness of the statement, then maybe you're just better off letting that slide and ignoring it because other people are going to see it. And by responding, you're just giving more weight to those statements. Is that the case online? Or are you saying that anything that's bad online needs to be addressed? Well, it's it's a really tough challenge online, as you allude. You know, if a lot of times if you engage directly with somebody who's upset with your company or your product or your service, you're just going to make them more upset and you're going to draw more attention to the dispute. I completely agree with you about that. 
But then for content that you know somebody's put out there, it's a sort of a balancing act. Um, it depends on a lot on how prominent their statement has become and how many other people have read it and linked to it and noticed it. Um, it's one of the reasons why sort of monitoring your reputation proactively and monitoring what people are saying about you proactively can be really helpful because you can learn about these things before they become big deals and you can address them. Um, one example I like to use is that Starbucks uh, back in the first Gulf War had a, a problem with their image in that people thought that Starbucks wasn't supporting the troops. They thought that Starbucks had refused to ship coffee to the Gulf region, um, was basically taking a proactive stance against the troops. And so what Starbucks did is they didn't go on each website and each forum and write a comment back saying, you know, Starbucks supports the troops, blah, 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 because that might have led to sort of a lot of negative dialogue and brought more attention to the complaint. Instead, what they did was they put a page on their website talking about how much they support the troops. And they didn't mention the complaints. They didn't mention the allegations. But they laid out very clearly the facts that were in their favor. And so it turns out if you search now, even today, for Starbucks and military or Starbucks and troops, anything like that, the first hit you'll get is a page on the Starbucks website with pictures of happy um, service members holding up bags of coffee. Uh, there's a great picture, I think I think it's still on the website, I'm not sure actually, of a uh, little miniature Starbucks inside an airbase in Kuwait, and it's surrounded by barbed wire, and then there's this cute little Starbucks in the middle of the desert. Content, you know, They put up content that squarely refuted the claims against them, but they didn't make a fight out of it. They didn't, they didn't get personal. They tried to rise above kind of some of the personal attacks that were being levied against them. And that's why I really recommend that a lot of businesses who have had prominent attacks against them respond. If it's something that's smaller, something that you know, is very specific to one incident or something that's harder to disprove, then you've got a tougher time. You know, if somebody says that a customer, your waiter was rude to them, it's hard to disprove that. There's not much you can do. And so we recommend that you try not to create a dialogue. You try not to engage directly unless it's something where you think you can make that customer satisfied. If it turns out all that customer needs is, you know, a coupe dessert or a free, you know, come on back, try us one more time, that's a great policy. Go and put that out there. But otherwise, don't engage. You might want to just build up positive content, highlight those really positive reviews that you've earned. Most businesses have a lot of great positive reviews that they've earned from working hard. Highlight those reviews instead of drawing more attention to this negative content that you don't have a lot of control over. How does Google and the other search engines, if you're familiar with the others as well, how do they decide what goes to the top of the list, that first most important page that you were talking about? I know it's some sort of secret formula, but are you familiar with the basic ingredients in the formula that you can share with us? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's a secret guarded as closely as the Colonel's original fried chicken recipe or Coca-Cola. Um, but Google does has said some things publicly about how they rank pages. So pages that have a lot of links and have a lot of traffic, Google takes those as signs of the votes of the importance of that page. Um, with social media now, Google also takes those as signs for the votes of importance. So if you Twitter a page or Twitter, tweet about a page, or if you put a page on your Facebook as a page you like, Google takes that as a vote for the importance of the page. And so for audiences that use a lot of social media, and I've been informed the Hispanic market is actually 
one of the biggest consumers of social media out there that relative to other demographics, they proportionally use a lot more social media. That's going to impact the way that Google uh, views search results. Um, Google will take things that are hot based on the number of people who are talking about it online right now and move those up to the top of the search. So you know, the exact details are closely guarded inside Google's headquarters in Mountain View, California. But generally, things that have a lot of links, that have a lot of traffic, that a lot of people are talking about, and that are kind of rising in popularity will be the things that end up at the top of a Google search. Now, there doesn't seem to be any distinction between editorial and ad content, for example, so that something that is an ad page might end up ranking higher than something that is an editorial page. Is that right? That's absolutely right. If you search for a lot of uh, names of products online, you'll find that the first thing that comes up is either somebody trying to sell that or somebody trying to make money off it rather than good, unbiased reviews. And so it's, it's tough for businesses who want to try and make an honest living online that Google search results are so crowded by advertisements that they can't get you know, just a, their side of the story out or just their basic information out. What about feedback sites, David? Places where people go to share their experiences with a place or a product um, and I'm battling to remember any specific sites right now, but there are many of them where just the public goes and says, well, I stayed at this place and it was like this and like this and like this. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think to be completely honest, those sites are part of the, the world of business today. Um, there's a lot of consumer complaint sites that make their living off encouraging consumers to submit negative reviews of different products and services and hotels and restaurants and whatever it might be. And that's part of the business world right now. If, if you're a business, those sites can be a great place to listen and hear what consumers are complaining about. The problem comes, though, that those sites kind of encourage people to write reviews that are more negative than they have to be, and they don't take down those reviews when the situation has changed. They often end up being featured very prominently in Google results, even if you've resolved the problem or even if the problem was a one-time thing. You know, let's say you're a hotel, and one night a truck drives by and parks in the parking lot and idles its engine all night. That's not normally what happens at your hotel. But maybe that's the negative review that's the first uh, hit in Google because these sites are kind of popular and they encourage people to write very negative content and say very negative things. If your business is on, on one of those sites, it's not the end of the world, but it's probably hurting your business. A lot of people see those sites because Google ranks them very highly. People love to click on those kind of tabloid, salacious, exciting links that suggest there's a lot of negative stuff going on people see it, and then they don't stop to get a fair perspective. A lot of users will click on one or two search results, make their opinion based on that, and then move on. They don't have time to sit there and read everything that you say, everything that everybody else says, and get a fair perspective. If these sites are appearing in Google, people are clicking on them, they're making their opinion, and they're moving on. Thankfully, there are services like reputation.com that sometimes can work with these sites to remove the content originally, or if the content isn't the kind that can be removed, they can put other content up on the top of a Google search instead. You know, instead of having one of these consumer complaint sites appear first, 
it'll still be there. Consumers who want to find that information can still find it. But the first thing in your search might be your Yelp reviews, which might be very positive because you've worked hard, you've earned a good reputation, you deserve it. Maybe the second would be TripAdvisor. Maybe the third would be your Hotels.com reviews. Those places where you've worked hard and you've earned very positive reviews, they shouldn't be completely destroyed by the site that encourages people to post very negative stuff. And now you mentioned some of the sites I was trying to remember. Thank you. And I've heard that there are people or businesses rather out there who are sort of on the other side of that fence from what you were describing earlier in the sense that it's not the sites, but that there are individual businesses that are rewarding their clients by giving them free services or free products or whatever other means so that they will post positive feedback. Is that an ethical way to respond? What are your thoughts on that? It's a really tough question for small businesses right now about how do you encourage your best and happiest customers to post their true feelings online without running afoul of you know government guidelines or just advertising best practices. And so we recommend that small businesses try and identify their best and happiest consumers and get them to encourage them to post their honest feedback, but don't do it by giving them money or giving them free services or things like that that create an obvious conflict of interest. You know, in, we highly recommend that if you're going to have, if you're going to give any kind of reward for, you know, writing a review on Yelp or writing a review on TripAdvisor, that you tell the people to disclose that they're receiving something for that. Instead, the better way to do it is to try and figure out who are your, your best customers? Who are the happiest people? Who are the regulars who come into your restaurant every week? Who's the person who calls your small business every week with a new question or a great, you know, a great new lead or something? And just encourage them to you know, post a review. Don't say you're going to give them anything free for it, but just say, hi, you know, my Yelp reviews are really important, or you know, my business's Yelp reviews are really important. A lot of people take, you know, take a look at them. If you have time, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave your thoughts there. Don't tell them what to say. Don't offer them free services or anything like that. What you'll find is that the people who are very passionate and very positive about your business will leave great reviews without any need to do it. In fact, if you ask them to do something specific or if you ask them or you offer them money, it's a lot of times it can make people feel awkward and feel less likely to do it. If you run a restaurant and you know that everybody who comes in and buys the special loves it, just put a card in their bill that says, you know, check us out on Yelp. They'll get the hint. People know when they're reminded gently that they can contribute to your business too. They want to be part of this enterprise with you. It makes them feel like they're part of the team when they're able to help you help them. At what point does the situation require professional help. What I mean by that is it sounds like there are instances where you can just rise above whoever is anonymously or not anonymously leaving these negative comments or whoever has this agenda and, and trying to sully your reputation. At other times, it sounds like maybe it's just a matter of, as you were suggesting, 
hinting that your customers share their positive feedback as well. And then it sounds like maybe there are times when the situation needs professional help. It's time to call the plumber sort of a thing. How do you know when that time has arrived? Well, I'd say anybody who makes a lot of their their customers, a lot of their leads, a lot of their business online should call on the professionals before even things go wrong, simply because there's always an opportunity to improve your search results now, to put more good, positive, truthful information at the top of Google that will help make you stand out from the competition, and also to prevent it, anybody who might leave a future false negative comment prevent that from ever reaching that first page of Google. It's it's really true that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure here. So I you know, I'd recommend calling in the professionals like reputation.com even before there's a bad situation. But regardless, anybody who's got a problem with one of those consumer complaint sites, um, one of those sites where people just post really negative stuff about businesses. There's no positive reviews on those sites. If you've got a problem like that, you absolutely need to call in the professionals. Um, if you're not as familiar with social media, with how to build web pages that will rank highly in Google, what the best practices are for encouraging customers to, um, to review you positively without crossing that line, I think that's also a great time to call in the professionals. Or if you just don't have time for it, if you want to focus on kind of what, you know, what marketing consultants like to call your core competency, the things that you're good at. If you're good at running a restaurant, let somebody else handle the online stuff for you. You know, Focus on the things that you enjoy and that you're really good at and the things that you want to do. Let somebody else take care of the stuff. Um, you know, it depends on, a lot on how big the business is and how big its online presence is, but simple monitoring packages can be incredibly affordable. They, for businesses, they start in a couple hundred dollars a month range and can go up from there depending on how big the business is and how prominent it is. But it's one of those things that you can get a lot of peace of mind very easily just by contacting the professionals here. What would you say are sort of the most egregious examples of online reputation violations? Can you uh, give us maybe a case study or an example? Um, I know you mentioned Starbucks earlier, but something where somebody really was the object of a, of a bad campaign. Oh, there's too many to count. Um, we've got a, we've seen a lot of small businesses, and it, I, I'm shocked that ethics are like this today. But we've seen a lot of small businesses that have figured out that their competitors are leaving negative reviews of them on, you know, sites like Yelp and sites like City Search. So what you'll do is, you know, we had a restaurant who was a client, and we figured out that they got a negative review from. An alleged user who had only left one other review before, and it was a positive review of the place next door, and they got a you know a zero star review from them, and it said all kinds of false and negative things, and some other evidence led to the fact that this competitor was leaving false reviews all over the place to try and draw you know draw down business. It was it just shameful. Um, we see all kinds of situations like that. We see individuals who are attacked because of situations in their personal life. Uh, to be completely honest with you, one of the ugliest situations that we see is custody battles. Um, parents get divorced and they're fighting for custody of their child and they start moving that fight online. And not only is it sort of ugly because it's putting, 
in the public eye stuff that really should be personal to them. But Google holds on to that stuff forever. And Google will make sure that anybody who searches, you know, if it's an employer, if it's a date, if it's anybody who searches and sees that stuff, it's going to draw, draw an inference. They're going to make an opinion because of it. So we've seen a lot of really ugly situations like that where just very personal things get drawn into the public eye and people get blogged about and spammed and smeared. Um, we've also seen teen pranks get out of control. Um, teenagers post funny things about each other online. You know, they make allegations of, you know, sexual orientation or things like that that teenagers do. And that gets posted all over Google. It gets taken out of context. And then when somebody's applying to college or applying to grad school, these are the search results that still come up. So, you know, there's such a wide range of ways that people can attack each other online. It's it's almost mind-boggling. It, it, when we were researching Wild West 2.0, we sort of developed a what we kind of considered a list of different reasons people can attack each other. And there's a chapter in the book that has nothing but lists of reasons why people can attack each other. And it's, it's really frightening. It's almost anything you can think of will lead people to these kind of awful online attacks. It's scary sometimes what people are capable of, right? It really is. And with the computer, it's even worse because you don't, there are things you wouldn't say to somebody face to face, but somehow the computer makes it seem more distant and people just really get out of hand. It's like when sometimes you see people that look so pleasant and so benign in their everyday lives and then you see them get behind the wheel of a car and they just uh, change personality somehow, right? Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I can tell you all about that. <laughs> What recourse is available? Say that, that somebody comes to you. I, or I, you're not with Reputation.com anymore, right? I am not. Okay. Well, say that they come to Reputation.com or someone similar to Reputation.com and says, I have a problem with my online reputation. What are the methods to address it? You've already talked about the audit and the way to put positive information out there. Are there legal remedies, for example? Is there a way to go to some of these websites that keep the information for a long time? Or the search engines you were talking about, Google. What are the, the possible solutions that you have? Absolutely. So companies like Reputation.com often have relationships with social networking sites and other sites to help remove some of those negative content kind of voluntarily. Um, it's, it's really tough to get them to go and remove content sort of of their own accord or through legal means. They're going to all point out old law that we talked about and say that they don't have to remove the content. So what you do oftentimes is that you have to build up your own positive content that will appear higher in the search and that we're, will more people will see than the negative stuff. So the exact way you do that is going to depend a lot on your situation. If you're, if you're a professional, then what we really want is for something like your personal site and your blog to be the highest results on a search. Those are the things that make you look like a well-qualified professional. You know, below that, maybe we'd want to have things like your conference appearances, the different podcasts you've been on, other great positive things about your professional career. On the other hand, if you're a small business, then it's going to be a very different approach. We want things like high reviews, very good reviews from you know, real customers who are really satisfied with your product and service. 
to be at the top of a Google search because those look like good, impartial, positive feedback. So we'd want that to be at the top of a search. The exact methods are going to depend a lot on your exact situation. But usually the best way to do it is to move that kind of positive content up. In terms of legal situations, you know, I'm an attorney. Obvious disclaimer here applies that I'm not your attorney and I suggest you contact an attorney in your local jurisdiction. But that said, legal results often are tough because people can post anonymously. So it's hard to find out who said something originally to force them to take it down. Oftentimes they disappeared into the night, they haven't left a trace, and there'll be no way to track them down. There's also a problem that people have started to call the Streisand effect. Um, it's an online problem, and it refers to what happens when you try and make use legal methods to remove information from a website. What happens is that the, your lawsuit and all the publicity around the lawsuit sometimes makes the problem worse. It, it makes the content more visible. So the term came about uh, back in the early 2000s when Barbara Streisand had a house on the California coast. And she was very private about it. It's kind of in an isolated place on the coast. And somebody published a, sat or a, a aerial photograph of it. They basically flew a plane along the coast and took pictures all up and down the coast. One of the photos that they published online happened to be of her house. And it showed um, this stairway that you could use to go from the beach up to a back entrance to her house. And then presumably from there, she's concerned about people breaking in. Very, very legitimate and understandable fear. And it was tagged as her house. And if you search for her name, this came up as her house. Anybody could just look at it and could see, well, gee, there's the staircase from the beach to the house. I could just break in there. So she sued to get the photo taken down. Unfortunately, her suing led to a lot of media results talking about how she was suing to get this picture taken down from the internet, and they all linked to the photo. And then people started blogging about how she was suing to take down this photo from the internet. They all linked to the news reports in the photo. Then people started sharing these things on social media. So they linked to the blogs, the news report, and the photo. From there, you can sort of see what happens since we know that Google ranks pages higher if they are talked about, they're linked to, and have a lot of traffic. The first thing that happened was this photo shot to the top of her search results. And then the rest of her search results were filled with people talking about this photo. It made the problem a lot worse for her. So it's one of those things where you know, using legal methods can work in some cases, especially if you know who put the content up. But you really have to be careful. A lot of times it's expensive, it's slow, and it runs the risk of the Streisand effect where it might make the content more visible. It might, it might make the problem worse. That brings me to the question that's been kind of turning around in my head since we started the conversation. And we talked about the audit that you start out with. In looking at someone's reputation, David, do you internally or do these companies internally that help businesses and individuals with their reputation management, do they give different weight to the information depending on the source? So, for example, like in the case of the Streisand effect that you were talking about, is there some weighted average or some way in which you categorize the information depending on where it's appearing? Absolutely. So it's sort of interesting. When you're doing something like an online reputation audit, you're not just concerned about how many people might stumble across a page sort of on their own. You know, obviously, if there's something about you in the New York Times, that's going to be important no matter what, because millions of people read the New York Times or read you know, the Miami Herald or whatever the paper is that might be relevant to your audience. 
but when you're doing an online audit, you also care about what sites Google is going to see as the most important. So even if it's a site that you know, not a lot of people might read, if it's a site that Google thinks is very important and is going to show very prominently in a search result, in a search result, you're going to have to take that very seriously when you're doing your online reputation audit. And when you do that, you look at the popularity as well as the source, if I understand correctly. Yeah, so you look at the source in terms of the web, you know, what what site is it on? You know, not just the source in terms of who wrote it or where did it come from originally. If somebody copied a New York Times article onto their own blog, you know, it's well, one, it's probably copyright infringement, but two, you know, I'm I would be less worried about that because it's you know, even though the source is ultimately the New York Times, it's appearing on somebody's personal blog that might not be ranked very highly in Google. It might not be the sort of thing that um, that a lot of people are going to see because Google doesn't think that this personal blog is very important, even if it's got this New York Times article on it, or even if it's got you know something else that's very credible on it. Google might not recognize that this is uh, is, is unlikely to to rank it very highly. So you sort of got about you you have to weigh both. You have to weigh you know, how will visitors see this when they click on it? Will they treat the source as credible? Will they treat the source as not credible? But also, how will Google see it? And will Google see this site as a site that is likely to rank very highly or very low? And there's ways you can do that. You can, you know, we have technology, or not we, reputation.com has technology um, to sort of measure how Google and other search engines are going to see pages and measure the number of links and measure the number of uh, people who are linking to it and measure how many people are, uh, use, talking about that page on social media, measure how many people have visited that page, and use those measurements to kind of come up with a score for how important this page is. If you're just doing an audit on your own, you, know, you might not have access to all of those technologies, but you can still get a gut instinct of whether this is a very popular and linked to website that, you know, where there's a very high risk that Google is going to move that page up, or is it sort of a, an isolated, you know, ghost town with tumbleweed blowing back and forth across it, that Google might not rank as highly. Tell us about social media in, in the context of the, the discussion that we're having. Some sites are included in the Google results and some sites are not, and yet they might still be very popular. How do you begin to understand what is going on in social media and its possible impact on your reputation. Absolutely. So um, social media, just so we're all on the same page, can be any sort of uh, website or service where people interact socially. You know, it can be Twitter, it can be Facebook, it can be Foursquare. It can be, you know, even Yelp is sort of a form of social media. Yelp is that uh, review site where people leave reviews of nearly any business around. Um, those sites are becoming increasingly important in reputation because people are using them more and search engines are recognizing them more, but people are also just finding content directly through them. Um, I've got a, a Pew study that shows that Hispanics are twice as likely to find jobs through social media than through, any, than through other sources, which means that if you're an employer, you know, they're looking, people are looking for reviews of your company and experiences of current employees in social media. You know? If everybody is griping about their conditions at work on social media, you know, they're saying on their Facebook wall that they're unhappy or they're Twittering that they're unhappy, 
then you're going to have trouble attracting the best new employees. Um, you know, the, the dangers we're seeing with social media is that sometimes things can spin out of control very quickly. Um, the site Twitter is a, a site that lets people write very short messages to each other and publish them. Um, and because the messages are so short, there's sort of a, a lot of shorthand, there's a lot of abbreviation, there's not a lot of sourcing that people do. And it's very easy to, if you see a, a tweet, as they're called, that you like, it's very easy for you to share that with your friends and then for them to share it with their friends. And so what we see a lot is a false or incomplete piece of information will get on Twitter and it'll spread across the whole community before somebody realizes it's false. Um, in, I think it was March of 2011, I think it was March, um, there was a rumor that Justin Bieber, the pop singer, what is he, 15-year-old pop singer, um, had died. And it spread across Twitter in about 15 minutes. And then everybody realized it was false, and the, you know, the retraction spread about half as far as the original message did. You know, not terribly consequential to most people. It doesn't affect their lives. But what if that had been instead that your business has some awful practices or that, you know, you're accused of some crime or you did some awful thing, it can spread no matter how obviously false in just minutes across the whole network. And so what we recommend is that you have, you know, you monitor these things and try and you know, intervene if it's something you can disprove or at least be aware of it and know how to address it when you start getting those phone calls asking if, you know, is Justin Bieber dead? You at least know where those calls are coming from and how to answer the question. What about websites that share what many people would consider private information and information that could be dangerous for, say, identity theft or personal safety, as in that Streisand example that you were giving us? What, where are the lines drawn there? What are they allowed to sell and post, and, and what, is, what can you get off? It's, it's kind of an unregulated market right now. Um, there are some laws, like the Fair Credit Reporting Act, that say you can't sell credit reports online without certain, certain conditions. Um, that's how you still see those freecreditreport.com advertisements everywhere. But there's some, some limits on how you can sell credit score information. But pretty much anything else is open game right now. There are a bunch of sites, and I don't want to to give any names, but if you search for you know, people information or people find or anything like that, you'll find a lot of sites that sell names, addresses. Um, you know, I could look up your name and find your address. I could look up your name and find out who lives with you and how old they are, how long they've been living there. I could find a picture of your house. Um, Google Street View has sort of really revolutionized privacy in that everybody's house who lives in a major street in a major city is a, you know, there's a picture of it online. And it's, it's a shock to a lot of people. Um, there are some of these sites that for a couple of dollars will sell social security numbers. There was a great Time Magazine uh, cover story in March of 2011 that featured uh, Michael Furtick, my co-author and the CEO of Reputation.com. And the lead paragraph of the story was that the reporter called Reputation.com and said, I'll bet, you know, this privacy stuff's overrated. I bet you there isn't that much information about me. I'm a pretty private person. And within an hour, uh, Michael Furtick had the reporter's social security number, address, telephone number, um, parents' names, siblings' names, all of this stuff from these sites that sell personal information online. It's really frightening. So an identity thief with just you know very little information 
could build a complete profile of you and then do all kinds of horrible things with it. You know, thankfully, technology is getting a little bit better on the credit card issuer side, and it's harder to open a credit card in somebody else's name than it used to be. But it's really frightening what you can do and what you can learn. There's just not a lot of law around this right now. And my prediction is this is going to be the next big frontier for, for concern and for regulation. And that is the perfect segue to my next question to you, which is that now that you are working for a law firm's reputation management practice or developing its practice, if these things are legal and they can be sold and posted online, what can you do from the legal end of things? Are there yeah. is there any recourse? Again, the disclaimer is should be obvious, but you know my views are my own and not those of my employer and my clients. Um, what can you do is be careful about what information you post and what information you share. Always assume that anything you give to anybody these days is going to end up in some big central database and going to be used to create a bigger profile about you. You know those mall war those mall survey cards where you can win a car or you can win some prize. You know, those are used to create marketing databases that have some of this information in it. Um, warranty registration cards, the same thing. And information on social networks gets used. Um, you know, obviously, sites like Facebook, they're engaged in you know, using the information they have about their users to target marketing. And there's always a concern that they will use it in other ways. Um, there's also sites that sort of publish information that you might not realize that they publish. Um, the one that gets a lot of people it always surprises people. The music site Pandora, it's a site that lets you kind of customize music playlists. You can listen online, you can listen on your computer. It's a great, you know, I actually really like their music. But what a lot of people don't know is that by default, your listening habits are published. And those get drawn into other marketing profiles about you. And so people know that you're playing, you know, sad breakup mix this week and that you're playing happy mix last week whatever it is, or, you know, that you're listening 10 hours this week and you're listening five hours last week when you're supposed to have been at work. Um, you know, the number one piece of advice is to simply be careful about how much information you provide in terms of, you know, what can you do legally? A lot of it right now is you know, only after the fact. If you find out that you've been denied a job or you've been denied credit or you've been denied housing because of online information or, you know, any of this information, a lot of times there's recourse in that, but there's not much you can do if it's just somebody found out something you don't like about you. Right now, it's really hard to get legal recourse for that. Um, what tips would you share with our listeners who are trying to get a handle on this issue of reputation management? What three things would you say that they should look at first or be most proactive about? Absolutely. So first tip is just keep an eye on it. Monitor yourself. Google yourself periodically. Know what's out there. Know what people are doing. Know what people are saying. Second tip is don't put more information out there that you don't want on the front page of the New York Times. You know, anything private or personal, be very careful about giving away online. Even if it seems like it's a you know, secure site or even if it seems like it's safe, I'm not sure I'd enter a lot of personal information in any social networking site right now. You know, I still use online commerce personally. I still buy half the things I own from Amazon.com. I'm not saying stop using online commerce, but be really careful of sites that 
sort of have to sell their user information because they're not selling anything else. And then the third one is, you know, try and try and encourage a change in the law. I know it's tough. I know that, you know, most individuals aren't going to be able to go to, you know, go to Congress and stand on the house, the floor of the house and encourage people to, to change it. But just be aware that these, there are these old laws that say that there's not much you can do about defamatory content online. And there's not a lot of laws about what you can do with privacy online. And when a politician comes along and starts saying that these are problems we can solve, start listening. You know, these are solvable problems, but we just haven't had the will to do it yet. Thank you, David, for joining us from Los Angeles, California. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And to our audience, thank you for listening to David Thompson, who is the co-author of Wild West 2.0, How to Protect and Restore Your Online Reputation on the Untamed Social Frontier, who discussed reputation management online and his book. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.